So I saw that you unapologetically were going to go see a Tom Cruise movie. Is that, uh, is that right? Is this Aloha movie? Or did that guy in the movie poster just look like Tom Cruise? No, no, that's not Tom Cruise. That was, uh, it looks like him, though. Like that whole like, p- pose Tom Cruise will do like where he's yeah, laughing oh, with sunglasses on. Bradley Cooper, right? It could be. He's the yeah, new Tom yeah. Cruise. He is the new Tom Cruise. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> um, but you know, like uh, you got to give Cooper credit, right? Like the the uh, what was the the bachelor party, or whatever that, that movie that. Uh, oh yeah, the, that guy. Yeah, he's he's pretty. He's, he plays the whole thing. It, it, that's a, it was a Cameron Crow movie, right? Um, Aloha, I'm a Cameron Crow, almost famous. Oh yeah, whatever happened to that movie? I, that movie had like a lot of like stuff around it that it was like some big. Uh, it's kind of like that other movie that came out recently that was like a Thomas Pynchon book, and it was all like yes. this. This is a you big know, cultural significant <laughs> thing, and and then it. it, well, it I think yeah, people remember think- Spring Breakers more than that movie. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, so well. Which which movie are you talking about now? The, the <laughs> oh, oh, I I, sw- I switched movie. off to the pension one, but then it was it was as a comparison to. Um, Almost famous was sort of like oh, oh no, this no. guy. Almost baby. famous was a classic. Yeah, but yeah. Pynchon. The problem with Pynchon is, so I, you know, it, I've never gotten through a Pynchon book. I, I'll mm. I'll be honest. I'll admit it. <laughs> you know, I've never been able to finish one of his books. Um, he is just just you know I'm um, you know I've read some hard authors right. You know um, what's his face? Uh, Focus Pendulum. Um, the guy, the Focus Pendulum guy. Foucault. I've even read. Some what? Isn't that Foucault? Uh, no, what's his name? Focus Pendulum. But oh yeah, also yeah, I've um, I, I've also read uh, um, Joyce, right? Which is very hard to read, right? Um, but um, but the Focus um, Pendulum. Oh, Umberto Echo. Yeah, I'm surprised I forgot that. Right, Umberto Echo. Um, but but I I've never been able to finish it. Uh, a pension book. I mean, it's just the, the guy. The, I mean, you really just have to. You're, it's like doing calculus while you're reading. So, I tried to watch that movie and I couldn't finish it. Is is it just like the the? It's too complicated as far as plot it's, line and things, or what's well, the what's the issue? The, it it plays like a pension novel. So if you're somebody who like can read pension and have a blast and and get through it like in a you know in a good one sitting read, then you'd love the movie. But uh, but man, it was, it was funny because I was struggling. I'm like, I, you know, I've never gotten one through one of his books and now I got, oh, damn it. I'm going to get through one of his movies. And, uh, uh, you know, and I couldn't do it. And, uh, and, it, and it, it felt like that kind of, you're just, you're fighting, you know, like at some point you, you just put the book down and say like, why am I like, you know, what's the purpose of me reading this book? Because mm. it seems like I'm fighting to read it. So, um, but Almost famous, great movie. But back to Aloha, that's Cameron Crowe. And Cameron Crowe's done some great movies. He did Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I mean, he wrote the story for that. Um, anyway, so Aloha was good. It was a good movie. Well, what's like, it about? Hawaii? Critics, critics killed it. Mm. Um, actually, it's kind of goofy, but it's about um, a guy who was basically booted out of the Air Force, but he was like a NASA guy, knows everything there is to know about space, grew up as a space kid junkie, and then um, and then he worked for Private Enterprise, and Bill Murray's in it. Bill Murray's, uh, uh, I don't argue too much by way, but it it, um, it ends up, they're on Hawaii, and they're going to build a special um, um, commercial 
you know, so it's kind of making fun of a little bit the commercial, air, you know, commercial space programs now. Right. And so this billionaire Bill Murray and all sorts of craziness happens, and Emma Stone's in it. All right, that was a good boy. The one of the cool things too, it it kind of exposes a little bit about the kind of nation state of Hawaii, right? Like there's, um, you know, there's guys that that still uh, like like protest that like Hawaii was never really. Uh, oh right. All right. Yeah, and then they kind of—I think in the movie they actually have the real guys. So, so uh, it's it's sort of like an allegory for the OpenStack community, right? There you go. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> uh, so, so what? What's just delving into tech a little bit in your neck of the woods? What's what's the current line on OpenStack? And 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 uh, I'll ask the question and then give a bunch of context to 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 specify what I'm asking. So you know, last week. I think it was last week. There were two OpenStack companies acquired, right? And then we had the OpenStack Summit. And I don't know what neck of the woods I'm in, but what I've synthesized is the current line is sort of like the OpenStack startup market is kind of near an end, and it's consolidating to all the big vendors, and we're still waiting for all the giant big enterprise stories. There you go. You couldn't have said it better. I couldn't have said it better myself. And 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 so in 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 the circles that you move in is 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 OpenStack neutral friend or foe? What uh, how does it figure into things? You know, it, you know I, this is always a hard problem, especially when it's recorded. You know, I can say it in a, in a crowd of people. And I know. I well, ne- next, what I'll ask you I, is when Docker's going to take VMware out. One of yeah, your favorite I, questions. I, yeah, boy, it just it just <laughs> blowed me up. But thing is i have a lot of people i really like and respect in the OpenStack community right and so i always hesitate to go negative in a recorded uh, uh when when there's artifacts of of me I, you know i mean it, it's it's a tough project right i mean if you think about where it started and how it started and, and just the whole startup ecosystem around it has been chaotic right um the, right. the ownership of you know there's never you know, i mean quite frankly you know this is where i get myself in trouble there's never been, you know, what do they call benevolent dictator, right? And I think, you know, um, yeah, I mean, a little bit of history here. Um, remember that open, um, that, that ops camp that we ran in uh, Austin? Yeah, pre- yeah. At ops days? Yep. And where, um, that's the one where Luke and, and Adam did the face-off. Uh, yeah, yeah. W- was that, that was, that was like open, e- that was ESM bar camp or something? I think it was actually, we, we actually it something else. changed to uh, ops camp. It was okay. Like, Dave Nelson um, ish stuff, right. and at that point, Brett Pyatt was a big shot over there at Rackspace, and uh, and I was sitting down. It was me, Andrew Shea. This kind of ironic. Me, Andrew Shea, and Brent Pyatt, and and Andrews and I had just kind of gotten to work for Ops Code recently, and um, and I knew Brent, and Andrews like, well, why don't you try to sell him Chef John, and 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 Brent Pyatt's like. Don't even go there, John. Don't even go there. We're a puppet shop, and 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 then um, and I said, well, I mean, do you want it? Honestly, you really want to talk about? It? And we started talking about, it and I said, well, you know, I'll do better than this. Let me pull, and I saw Adam walking by because Adam was. I said, let me get Adam. And man, a love affair happened. Technical love affair between Brent and Adam. I mean, they spent probably three the next three hours that day, and then. All night at the party, the, you know the, the 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 party we had, and then the next day, next thing you know, Adam's flying down to help those guys figure out what license to pick for OpenStack. So Adam was very influential in their decision process of the licensing. Yeah, and 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 the truth was, 
the licensing that Adam suggested was something that worked really well for ops code, but just didn't work well for OpenStack. Yeah, what did, what did they pick the first time? Or was it, uh, I, I forget. Because I, I mean, I, it was bit, I remember, you know, like, like at the time I was at Red Monk and I remember doing some, uh, some like light consulting around it. And, and a lot of the decisions they had were like, they were, they hosted the source code in like somewhere that wasn't Git. <laughs> right, yeah, like, like, and 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 there there were I mean they corrected all these decisions very quickly but it wouldn't be what I'm trying to say is it wouldn't be shocking if the the license was something a little it was like the Mozilla license or something like that no right? no like, it was based on what Chef's license was okay. um, the it was Apache license that's it was it was the same Apache license I believe again anybody who's like a genius and all the stuff um, but it was it was very much licensed after the way Chef because that Adam years later had said yeah you know I I, I thought that that was the right decision for them because we had such great experience with it uh, with Chef. But the truth was, um, because OpenStack wasn't really a finished project, you had all this kind of, you know, land grab stuff going on, right? right. Like, and I think even to this day, you still see this land grab stuff, right? Like, this guy do a little part of it, but some of it they'd hold back. And I think, again, I think there's never been, like, you know, if you look at, like, Ubuntu with Shuttleworth or you look at, um, not that those are commercially successful, really, but but they're 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 technically very successful projects, right? Yeah. Uh, Chef really, at the end of the day, was was Adam, um, you know. And again, I'm not comparing licenses; I'm comparing projects here. Um, anyways, um, so I mean, I think that's the problem that's always been there is that there's there's never been really one strong body of control or strong leadership. I know there's the foundation and all, but uh, you know, I mean, you got these startups that we've seen over the last two years just, you know, build up, become really dynamic and then, you know, and then kind of fizzle through an acquisition. Yeah. You know? no, I, I mean, I mean, I, I think that's, that's generally, uh, I, 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 I always think the, the, the best case the open stack community can take is we're working on it. Yeah. <laughs> right? and, and it's, you know, which, and the problem is, which doesn't always come through as, as, as clear as it should, because, because, uh, and this, you know, I imagine is the point of the licensing and the, uh, the single source of control or whatever is it's a very uh it's a very very open what's the word how would you phrase it? it's it's a very open mission statement like like anyone anyone who can sort of like figure out how to get involved can be involved yeah and there's not I mean, a lot Andrew of says the best. I mean, it's, instead of getting myself in trouble you know i mean you read you know what andrew has said over the years about it right you know i mean that you know that there's you know um there's just not one body or one board, you know, to really just control this thing. And it's always been, yeah, he did his open letter to OpenStack, right? Like, to whom it may concern, you know. So if you Google Andrew Schaefer, and I think, you know, I think he's been spot on and it still is the problem. And, you know, and the problem you have now right now is that you have so many of these projects that are being kind of baked. So the last one, the last OpenStack summit I went to, I guess, was last year. I went to the one in Atlanta. And, you know, and it seemed like all the projects and then the disconnect between the projects. So not only it is it there's not one board controlling just OpenStack in general, you have all these different projects with all different hands in it and different people, um, you know, and then they're not really having great discussions about integrating between the projects, you know, and, and it's, quite frankly, the networking piece has been, you know, my guys coming out of soccer playing, 
you know, could tell you war, 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 war stories about, you know, Neutron and things that didn't work, um, you know, and, and so, you know, we used to say that Open V-Switch was the phoenix from the ashes, right? Um, so that gets me, to, you, you know, kind of the, the, the begging question now is the question is, you know, are the things from OpenStack will, if you believe me that it probably isn't going to survive, and this is where I'll get me in big trouble. If it's not going to survive, are there things that are part of OpenStack that will survive? Um, and, you know, and you could say possibly it as an orchestration engine for whatever type of compute resource, VMware as containers, whatever. But, but again, I think that there's such, there's such a strong class of emerging orchestration solutions coming out that I'm not even sure that it could survive that. You know, you got Kubernetes, you got, you know, you got the the passes, the, you know, your your you guys stuff, you got what we're doing with Swarm. Um, you know, I mean I think uh, I don't know. I, I just think that that, you know, that possibly OpenStack missed its window. Um but again, I you know, I I, I will be the first to admit I'm drinking the Kool-Aid on containers right now. So yeah, well, and, and and it's I mean it's another interesting phenomenon that there's so many uh, so many workload orchestration management plane dealies, <laughs> like like there's tons of them, uh, and and some of them have big names and big use cases, and others don't, and others are tiny, and and like there's all different approaches, but it is uh, it's a very open field for you know eventually some consolidation has to happen. It would be. I mean, maybe maybe across your history, you can remember an era where there were so many infrastructure options, but it historically that doesn't really seem viable to have like more than maybe three or four options out there. I guess maybe like in the Unix days, if you threw in Unix, the the rising of PCs and like leftover mainframes and mini computers, there's like tons of stuff. But for a long time, there really wasn't that many. There weren't that many types of. When, what we when, would call a cloud, if you will. It was yeah, just like one thing, from, one or yeah, two things. When we moved from mainframe to distributed, I, I was a part of I, I lived that. There, it, it got real ugly, right? It got really ugly, right? It, the, the first wave of distributed computing was just, it was very similar to what's going on right now. I mean, it was just everybody had a solution. I guess, I guess there was like three types of network, like physical networking back then too, right? Like three or four, like there was a token ring. Yeah, and you had the Ethernet, and then there was like whatever Netware was doing, and then there was a other a bunch of weird stuff. Yeah, no, it, it you know it was, but it's still like from a like how many solutions to solve the same problem, right? It was just it was uh, crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, we're we're in age right now where I mean, where it's very easy to create a startup, right? It's never been easier in, in probably the history of of any civilization to create a business, you know? And so people, I mean, you look at what's going on where how quickly a company can go ahead and just take a good idea and get two and a half, $3 million, you know, so quick, it's crazy. And then their A round, it's like, you know, and, and just, uh, if you go the difference between, you know, I mean, ops codes, um, you know, I think ops codes, it, ops codes and, sh- and puppets, chef and puppets, a rounds were less than 3 million. Right, so right. A rounds, you know, are ten million plus, right? Well, uh, well, this this raises an interesting topic. So, you know, you you were uh, you were working on Socket Plane there for a little while last year, and then and then uh, now now you're part of Docker. So, when you were 
and I assume you were visiting with people who wanted to invest or were investors or things like that. But generally, like, like, what are they looking for? Like, it's so like, like, what are they? Why is it so easy to get the money? Like, part of it is because there's opportunity, but like, there's there must be. Uh, well, that, I'm phrasing the question wrong. Like, there, there's it's access to capital, as I understand it, is really cheap. So there's a lot of money to do something with. But yeah, somebody said negative interest. I heard yeah, of, and, like, and and so so the question is. Is it just sort of like this force of money to personify it wanting to move into something? Or is there actually like a thing people are looking for? Like, like what, is, I, what, what is the genuine story that, or conversation you end up having with someone where they're like, oh, this is a good idea to invest in? Yeah, you know, so I've actually um, been invited to value since socket playing. And I've always gotten people to send me their kind of startup pitch. Right. But, but it's kind of accelerated now since the soccer playing thing. And so I'm getting a lot of pitches from people and some of the people I'm actually, if it looks good, I'll pass it on to, uh, to some of the VCs I've worked with. But, um, I think the number one thing, and, and then this is just my small worldview, right? Like, so, um, so I'm sure people can have different opinions and people will have better experience. But from my experience right now, they're investing in people. <clears throat> you know, I mean, idea, certainly you can't walk in with a horrible idea. But but if it's a reasonably good idea, um, actually, that's not enough. Um, in fact, I, I, I've got a couple of guys that I think they have a brilliant idea. that You can match it to another vendor that's already doing the same thing, has been funded twice, and they're just not known people. And I can't get anybody interested in mm. in their stuff. But you take uh, a guy like Mark Ambracchio, rightful so, got a great idea, startup, you know, um, got funding immediately, right? Um, you know, so right now, um, in one of them, one of my first conversations with uh, one of the VCs um, that I knew was the ex board member of OpsCode. He said that basically, right now, when you're going for seed money, it's about the team. You know, and I, I realized that as we went in, you know, started talking to other different VCs, you know, with us, we got a lot of offers. We were able to actually just take, you know, dwindle down to the best offer. And and then so so what is it about the team? Is it about track record? Track or, record. Or sort of like some weird twinkling in their eye that they're like hungry and will be vicious in developing a business idea? Well, not even that. How does really, one tell? Um, it's, it's um, it, you know, it's it's definitely kind of, you know, brand recognition. Mm, right you know that that's part of it now they would never say that right so it's sort of scooping up celebrities yeah well celebrities with you know with um that have you know strong you know like like chris chris brown right like um maybe uh, maybe a sports analogy is better right it's like scooping up super athletes who like yeah have no a, have i think that's what i think there are super athletes that you know when you when somebody goes into a draft from baseball right and you've seen what they've done in a couple of teams right when they go in, not the draft but when they go into a free agency right they you know they demand ridiculous amount of money they i think that's you know that's what we're talking about they're you know, I mean, there are these people that they're, they clearly have, you know, again, I think Mark Bracco is a good ex- example. He's never created his own startup. But if you look at there's a guy that basically, you know, uh, you know, ran operations for GitHub, ran operations for Heroku. Right. And then has this idea of how to do kind of operations better. Right. Oh, yeah. He was on Cloud Foundry after dark. He's like he's like worked a year everywhere. Yeah, yeah, he's like me, right? But uh, and then you know, so I, I do think I, I think it, uh, they they want to feel a trust. Certainly, ones that have already done it. You, the 
the ex um, the the ex people just got ten million dollars. I saw the other day the rancher guys, right? So there are a couple of those guys are the guys that founded cloud.com, right? Oh, That's right. Yeah, yeah. Like they, they've got a good idea, but but again, it, I think it's easier for them to get the money. Um, the Weave guys, right? The, the Alexis, Alexi guy, Alexis, whatever his name. I should know his name better than this, but he was the Rabbit MQ guy, right? Um, you know, so now he's doing a Docker thing. The Rancher guys are doing a Docker thing, right? So, well, um, well let, let me let me toss out another theory and or, or a theory and, and tell me tell me what you think of it. It seems like, especially especially having been an industry analyst and worked in you know corp dev, ha- having had to watch the industry professionally for. A long time. Oh, I feel bad for you. <laughs> it, it, that's right. That tough job, man. It, it, Somebody's got it. It, it, it. it seems like it seems like for the past five years, everyone's been talking about this wonderful world that's over the horizon. And every now and then, we get these these missives back from the Ubers and the Airbnbs and all all these. As I like to call, or I stole this from someone at, at OpsCode, I forget who, but a, a software-defined business, and it hasn't quite like uh, it hasn't quite gone mainstream yet for some reason, right? And so, if you had an investment thesis that was basically like, eventually all companies will run like Uber, whatever that means, or all companies will run like Google. I, I think I forget who put it this way, but but someone. I think it was this guy Matt Curry at uh, at Allstate who uh, Andrew Schaefer had an interview with recently, and it was something like uh, the way that Google and Facebook book ran in the past is the way that all enterprises will run in the future, or something like that. Right. So, so you have this this theory that sometime in the near future, there's going to be a gigantic swap out of technology. We don't know exactly what the technology is going to be. We don't know when it's going to happen. But we do know that there's this pool of people who are working on it. <laughs> and like it's it's in their blood, if you will, to just work on whatever that is. They might they might be in the OpenStack world, they might be in container land, they might be like people who run operations at places that operate like this. But what we want to do at the moment is assemble the chessboard teams in this this multi-party chess thing where eventually they're going to figure out some technology that all of the, the companies are going to use because we know eventually the mainstream is going to go yeah, over that hill think, and think, do everything this way. I think you're right. I think it's like a puzzle, right? Like it's a puzzle. They know what it's going to look like. like so you buy the puzzle of the Eiffel Tower, right? And, mm-hmm. and you know what it's going to look You think you know right. what. You have an idea what it's going to look like. And then what you're trying to do is acquire the puzzle pieces, right? You know, and, and, you know, and, and I'm going back. To, I was thinking about like the original question. Like I think one team, right, like – you know, I mean, you're going to, you know, I, I think there's probably some mental scorecard that these guys use for whether you're going to investment, right? And you're going to get like, you know, probably 30 to 50 points on having a strong team, right? Maybe even yeah. higher. Um, you got to have a sound idea, right? Like, it, you know, in other words, the technology of the idea has got to be strong, right? Like, it, what are you going to do? I mean, these guys that give money are usually X people who built software, right? A lot of these guys, have, now they're the guys that decide who gets money. A lot of them were very technical yeah. at some point in their career. So they're, they're going to deep dive on the, the, the soundness of the technical. Like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You're going to do what? You'll never do that. You know, you're trying to tell me you're going to get a billion requests per whatever and, and you're going to use, you know, this. It ain't going to work, you know. And then I think the third piece, which is, that, and that second piece is certainly a checkbox, 
<clears throat> but the third piece, which is this kind of weird, it needs to make sense. And, and it's like, that sounds so contrite, right? But, but it just, like, it has to, like, like when we walked in and we said, like, I had no idea. Um, you know, in fact, when we were starting, I thought I was going to have to bring somebody in on the team that had already done a business, so, you know, kind of a 10 to $50 million business. And thinking, I was thinking old school. That you know to go down Sand Hill Road, like I needed a guy that a guy or a girl that basically could had had experience doing this because they would say, "Why would I give these guys the kind of money?" And the truth was, our idea makes so much sense to to the pulse of what everybody was thinking, you know. And, and you know, and Damon joked like, you know, you know, because you know we said we're doing SDN with Docker, and Damon's like, "Well, why didn't you throw in Bitcoin?" You know, um, you know, as a joke, right? But the, the point was the people who really understood SDN and the people who really understood what was going on with Docker, you know, again, you know, in, in Docker time, um, eight months ago was, a, it was a, it was a, a century ago. Right. Like, um, and, and so when we walked into the right, there was certain, certain people we walked into like, ah, how are you going to, I always tell these, the young guys to start up, but like, like when you start getting, if you got to really if you're nailing it on that, it makes sense idea. Don't waste your time to people who don't get it. Because when they start asking how you're going to make money, I mean, it was one venture capital. They got into like the C or D round on ops code. And they asked me at Docker, well, how are, how are you going to make money off this? I'm like, it took ops code four years. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be gracious and say four years. You could argue five years before they figured out how they could make money. Right? Um, yeah. And, and these guys invested in their C round, right? And he's asking me how we're going to make money on a seed on a seed round, you know? Like, okay, we're done. Like, you know, thanks for your time, but you are the wrong person for me to waste my time talking. Yeah, to. Yeah, and you know, as further framing on that, there's, uh, I, th- I think it's like good old Clayton Christensen and his crew. Like, they have uh, there, there's different different versions of what this is, but they have like the three P's that that you need for like. How how you define innovation and strategy, and you can really go to town with these these three P's to make it def- just just like all strategy and uh, work think it can come to define life or whatever. But essentially, it's like uh, you focus on people, processes, and philosophies. Some some people put priorities in there as one of the P's instead. But I mean, yeah, I, I think as as you were saying, that's it. it just had to you, you build those engines there because as 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 you were. You know, every, everyone has a certain take on ideas, right? Like, like there's the old saying that like ideas are a dime a dozen, right? So like every, you'll have lots of ideas, there'll be lots of options, but what becomes important is setting up an engine of people who can do something about those ideas and be successful with it. And and so if it, it's to me again going back to my wacky hill metaphor, like if if we're trying to climb over this hill. And we don't really know how we're going to do it to get to the promised land. We want to have a team of people who can figure out doing it, right? A team with it with like that looks like the right puzzle piece for this right, part. Right, To mix our metaphors, violent. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I mean, I think if I stay with the puzzle, the yeah, yeah. thing, right? But, you know, I mean, again, and just in our case, right, like, you know, again, it sounded to most people like, oh, listen to those guys, SDN and Docker. What a joke, right? But what they didn't realize is, you know, that, that Maduka Venkapali spent 10 years working on ASICs program on a Cat 6K, right? The Cisco Cat 6K. And then was the first committer of Open Daylight. And then went over to, left Cisco, went over to Red Hat, 
formed the, the original SDN team for Red Hat. Um, and basically the only people that, you know, in, in, a, in a top 10 of, you know, open vSwitch people on the planet, which with about 60% of those guys being either at mostly probably, you know, 50% at least being over at, um, at VMware, because, you know, the, the Nasir guys, the other percentage of, you know, 30% being at Cisco, my guys, Madhu's team was probably the rest that filled out the top 10 on open vSwitch knowledge, right? And, and um, you know, and, and the idea that, you know, networking, container networking scale is going to need something different than normal, just, you know, either, um, you know, bridge networking or, you know, and, and so the people who knew what they were, th knew this problem, when we walked in and said, we're going to solve this problem, they're like, oh my God, you know, um, you know, Right. You know, can we get, can you sign this term sheet today before you leave the office? <laughs> right. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's it. You know, and, and then, and then, you know me, I, I also always like to think about the, uh, I, I should write a little summary called beyond the exit, right? Like what happens yeah. after the company is acquired or is successful. And, and I think, I, I, I think those three P's, if you will, uh, they're all, they're, they're, as important at the beginning as they are at the end or in the midlife of a technology. Because so, so for example, you were, uh, we were going over all these pockets of people, right? These teams that are around and, uh, I haven't followed up on the rancher labs people, but yet you said they're like the cloud.com people, right? Right. Right. And so you're like, well, why didn't that work out at Citrix? <laughs> right? Like, like there's, there's all these acquisitions of teams of people and then, it just sort of like fizzles out, like the business doesn't work out. Uh, you know, I'm going to try to do an Andrew Schaefer here now. Entrepreneurs like the entre. You know, that's I, right. You know, I mean, it, that's the bottom line. There is right, you know, right. But but there are there, there are other cases of companies that can create uh, sustainable innovation. Yeah, uh, you're, you're, another Christensen well, term, right, right? That's a great. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Like, why didn't those guys create? rancher in citrix right, right. Or, or 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 like I, I was reading something uh someone was writing something the other day that like oh yeah i used to talk to all these people about i'm kind, I'm kind of making up the story to prove the point but i used to talk to all these people about distributed applications and now they all work at google and no one ever talks at google <laughs> right yeah. or like or like the apple people never tell you what they're doing so there are and microsoft microsoft talks a lot more than other people but there are like giant Fact, factory is the wrong word because people take that the wrong way. But there are companies where entrepreneurial people end up staying and creating new things over and over again. And, and then so um, now not not playing like Monday morning strategy integration guy stuff. But like one of the reasons I like things like the three P's and stuff like that is it does something else that I'm I've been thinking about a lot recently in, in my day to day work is like making the implicit explicit like is a step that people don't do at all, really. <laughs> and so, for example, what does that mean, making the implicit explicit? Well, if you were to, so two, three years from now, if you acquire one of these great teams of people, right, you're acquiring them because uh, you're acquiring the assets they have, maybe the running business that they have, which probably isn't going to be that big of a deal, but you're acquiring them because you're like, oh, this is an engine of doing something interesting, and we are going to, pour fuel on it to make it even better. And one of the questions you have to ask is how do we not destroy why we like this in the first place? Yeah, no. And, and, and you know, I think that you just hit on something really important um, is that um, 
I, I think a lot of companies get confused of why they buy a company, right? Like the VCs are not confused at all. At the seed round, VCs right, right. are not confused at all, right? Well, it's they, about they, the, they have a relatively easy job compared to the job of integrating it. <laughs> no, I know, but but at the end of the day, I think what you you know the um you know again they're looking at the puzzle pieces. You know who who are the ones that are going to more likely basically create the final puzzle. Um, when somebody acquires somebody, they might initially think that, hey, boy, if we got this team, this technology looks pretty good. But then they get absorbed into the company and they break up everything that is was positive about that team being a team. Like why why didn't the rancher guys just do the rancher? I'm sure there's a million reasons. Probably most of what they were probably entrepreneurs and risk takers and, and saw an opportunity to make more money outside of Citrix than inside. But, but, it, but um, why wasn't there an environment? You know, I mean, I, the truth is these big companies, you know, except for Google and, you know, and I, I guess Facebook, but Google, Apple, they tend to keep their people. You know, there's some magic going on there, but most companies, most of your classic, you know, companies you know like dell for example or citrix and you know they they forget like they bring in these this amazing team and then all of a sudden um you know hr is talking about like where how do we split the team up you know and well the engineers need to go under joe because joe's the head of engineering where the evangelists go well the evangelists go into marketing i guess where you know um and then all of a sudden you've lost that you know, now it's, you just like, those might be great people. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it goes back to the, you know, why, what was, I was watching some sports show the other, oh, it was about the New York Knicks in the seventies. And, you know, and my son was watching and he was asking, well, these are the greatest players that ever played basketball. And I said, they were all great players, but they weren't the greatest. You know, the Knicks, like in 19, you know, people say the 1970, I think Knicks were one of the greatest teams ever. And it was just that they played so well together. Like you, the magic of the, how that team played was just amazing. And I was trying to explain to him, you know, the magic of a team and how, you know, one plus one equals five if you get it right, you know. And 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 the big companies buy that one plus one equals five, or you know, team of five that actually is has some mythical power of twenty five, and. You know, uh, you know, and and then what do they do? You know, HR gets involved, and they break them up, and people go here, and you know, um, yeah, so. yeah and, and and I think I think that's that's you know f- further uh, detailing about making the implicit explicit because implicitly that is what's unsaid is we're buying this company because it's successful and they know how they're operating and we're just gonna you know let them operate better, right? But the problem is you have to you have to be very explicit. Like you have to repeatedly call out and say like why you bought them, what your intentions are, what your plan is and, and go over that over and over again. You have to over communicate that. And you know, the, the annoying thing, both of us have, have worked in and out of big companies a lot. The annoying thing is there's a tremendous amount of internal communications at a company, but very rarely does it like address anything useful. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Like, like, it it always addresses things that are useful to the in to the individual employee. Like our our four hundred one k plan has changed, and here's what you need to do. But it doesn't. It's very rare that that you that a, a large organization can sort of, um, in a useful way, kind of state what the purpose is and what the plan is, what those three P's are. 
and especially in a technology company where in, in an environment like nowadays where it's so easy for people to leave and find another opportunity like it sort of behooves big companies to be very clear and by very clear i mean like you can do something about it but to be very clear about like w- what we're doing here so if we acquire this interesting startup company uh we need to signal to everyone in the company that not necessarily like get out of their way and these guys know what they're doing. It's not like some sort of mad genius situation, but like what we're, we want to learn from this company and here are some things we don't like about how we operate. And we want to learn how this little company is doing it and start to change those things that we don't like. Right. Or here are things we can do with this small company to enable them to grow bigger because they can't do these things on their own. Here's things they can learn from the big company. But all, all, all of that stuff is like, easily glossed over and then and then just it's it's also to be a little like a connector guy or whatever it's um the lack of doing that is why almost to a nauseating degree in the devops world we're always talking about culture and process (laughs) because like i think a large part of like culture and process is just being explicit about things and uh talking about what the plan and the mission is beyond like, you know, get your server provisioned. And and there's there's one example that keeps sticking in my head also from that Allstate conversation where, you know, they hired this the, these couple guys from PayPal to come over to Allstate and, and you know, help them uh, prevent um, being Ubered, if you will, in my phrase. Right. And and it, it's, it's interesting, like talking with, uh, you know, at least the Cloud Foundry customers who talk publicly, a lot of them have in their mind like, we're doing really well right now, and we want to keep doing that. <laughs> like they're being very explicit about the idea of we have to keep innovating and doing interesting things before some Uber comes along and does something, which is really enlightened, right? Um, but there was one little thing in this this conversation Andrew was having with him that was interesting. That it, I started laughing at it, then I realized it was symbolic, and he was like, "Oh yeah, you wouldn't believe how hard it is just to get a laptop that doesn't have a bunch of crap installed on it." <laughs> yeah well that's right and, and 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 again it's like seems like a ridiculous thing but it's a tracer for for the organization understanding why they bought the startup and making sure they don't screw it up i mean well that's the problem right there's two patterns there right that when an acquiring economy one pattern is you, you split it up and try to fit it into the current thing you think okay well we're going to be better because we got bob and joe into engineering and we've got you know Tim and, and Sue over in marketing, and boy, we're going to be way better, right? And, or there's the, let's leave them be for a year or two, right? And you think, okay, well, why, why doesn't that work, right? Well, because you didn't give the memo to the rest of the organization, right? right? Like, so now, you know, yeah, you know, because now they have to get their um, laptop from uh, a Windows-specific type laptop vendor, and they can't use their Apple um, machines anymore right and, and the classic developer thing is like and we have virus scan and every five minutes they create two thousand new files yeah 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 right you know and yeah so or even in the marketing sense that you know you're you're gonna sell sell cloud and you've been selling cloud um the uh and then all of a sudden you know you, you talk to one group that's instrumental in helping you sell this cloud thing and their definition of cloud is kind of um, you know, VMware with ESX and vCloud and, you know, and, you know, yeah, that wasn't really what we were going after here for this, you know. So, um, but one of the things I wanted to mention, I, I've just finished reading um, Toyota Kata by Mike Rother. And it, it's, it is definitely 
it's one of the best books I've read in, in, you know, probably at least the last five years. Um, and, um, and Mike Rother did the vert learning to see, which is high stream mapping. He did a while back. And then, um, you know, Gene has talked about Toyota Kata quite a bit and Jez Humble talks about it and, and actually references it quite a bit in his lean enterprise book. But the thing that like, um, the, like the thing the so what I think is really interesting, um, is that you know kata is like this muscle memory thing right it's like the the performing arts person who it's about turning routines into habit right so that you know it's it you're, you're purposely trying to take something and so their whole um the whole message so toyota kata is about Rotha studying what toyota had done and that that their managers managed by what they call management by means as opposed to a management by results right and something you just said reminded me of that is that um the whole idea behind Toyota Kata is setting this kind of vision there's this here there's this there and then there's uncertainty in the middle and what what managers that you know teaching Kata or coaching Kata what they said um is is this idea where um you're helping people understand how to, you know, like you're being really clear on where the there is, the vision, right? Or, you know, um, Deming would call it the aim. And then helping them kind of by intent or means help them understand how they are empowered to do things. And, and so, um, you know, and, and so, um, you know, so it's really kind of an intention to vision, right? I got a vision. Um, this is where we need to all be. You, you're all a bunch of smart people. Uh, what I need to do is there's certain steps that we need to do. One, we need to think like scientists. So everything we do goes into this kind of PDSA or PDCA cycle. But I'm not going to tell you how to do it, right? Like you, you're all the smart folks, right? And and like I'm going to coach you on how to build repetitive patterns so that this behavior of always having kind of a target condition that you want to get to um, become and then getting that condition and always kind of moving towards the vision. Um, I'm going to coach you on how to do that. Mm. Uh, it, it really does it, does it go over how to come up with the target vision? Um, a little bit, yeah, it does. It does. You know, helping understand what target and a lot of times the target vision, like some of the ones, um, you know, I mean, like um, who was it? One of the um, one of the companies were you know zero accidents. You know, um, you know, so one of these uh, right. companies that had like ridiculous amount of on the job accidents, right? Zero. And and here's the thing that's beauty of this. I you know I was I was said that um, I never could understand Deming's kind of aim and how it. Um, how it actually kind of interferes with um, the concept of uh, of slogans, like you know, what I mean? like like well, the difference between calling something a name and having it be a slogan is a fine line, right? We want to be a zero defect company. We want no outages. We want, and I was, you know, and, and that always bothered me a little bit. But in Torricata, Rafa does a really good job of explaining that. Um, that the um, the vision or Deming would call the aim is really a goal, and it may be, never be reachable. But it's the patterns that you continually improve to try to get there. So it's almost like a calculus problem, right? Like you never, or, you know, uh, you you never 
you know, like the, the, the just because it's a goal doesn't mean, you know, like it, it could be obtainable, but instead of a slogan like we will have zero defects and therefore I will murder anybody who ever has a defect or we're going to fire people when there are defects, you know, it's a, it's a we will have zero defects is our vision. And the kata is the muscle memory we use to continually improve to get there. Uh, it really is. It's a fascinating book. I recommend anybody to read it. Um, yeah, no, exactly. And, and that's that. I think uh, you, you know. I I, w- I started thinking about this when I finally read that uh, one of your other favorite books, the the five dysfunctions of teams or whatever. Yeah, and, and you know, it's sort of like the uh, the narrative in there is just like a whole bunch of people talking about seemingly dumb shit, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, like yeah. all and and I forget the, if they even touch on this, but like at at some point, I'm sure when when people read that book, they're like, I don't understand. Like, isn't this like remedial level stuff? Right? right? Like, like you know, to put it another way, man, that seems like an exhausting way to live. To like not not really know what it is you're doing, why you're doing, or how to coordinate with people. But I think, you know, my my assumption would be that if you go into most organizations, uh, there's no, people really have no idea what they're doing or, yeah. or why they're doing something. They, 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 they know exactly what they're doing, but they don't really understand, like, how that fits in with anything. So, you know, therefore, going back to acquisitions, it's kind of like little wonder that unless a, a company is very careful with the way they integrate things, it'll just get ne- neglected because they they already have a corporate culture of neglect, anyways, right? Like well, not, think- not really not really um, fueling things very well. So you add something difficult like a whole new mix of people, and it doesn't really like slot in too well. You know, I mean, the thing, like, it's, I think, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, if you read the, the Toyota Kata, which I think is a great read, right, it's about helping leaders in a company and help people to understand what their role is with leadership to constantly, you know, to be constantly working in this Kata mode, this, this con- improvement um, towards a vision that is absolutely crystal clear. And... And I think probably, you know, you could probably spend, if somebody hasn't, there's probably a whole exercise of acquisition kata, you know. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, in fact, you know, jokingly, everybody's doing a lean book these days, you know, lean startup, lean enterprise, lean this, you know, I bet you there's a great story about lean acquisition, um, you know, because I do think, because if you look at actually lean enterprise jazz, which is a great book, um, the um, a lot of it comes from Toyota Kata, right, uh, the right. of, and 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 I do think there's a you know I think acquisitions are I mean the thing is you have to have that stuff in place right like in other words if you if you don't know where you know whether it's Kata or it's some other magically form of management that just seemed to work for you very well you being some company out there that's listening um, that's fine um, but then like like you probably shouldn't be acquiring. You don't. You shouldn't be acquiring anybody unless it's just to take the product off the market, right? Which is a you know a different strategy too, right? Like we just right, want to right. kill this because because we we're losing revenue to them. We buy them over five years. We make more money by just shelving them. Um, but but if it's anything other than that, if you don't you know, you know put it bluntly, if you don't have your shit together, right? Buying somebody else to help you get your shit together probably isn't going to work out well, you know. So right, no no easy solution to that. There you go. Well, that's probably enough for this week. I think so. That was a good, uh, 
we always start off with this kind of where we think we're going to go, and then we wind up different. We don't have any kata, Michael. No kata. I, I, I got to go find some of those. We got to get some kata for this podcast. Well, I, I, I just need to go read that book, and then it's going to solve my problems, right? I definitely, I would be really interested in what your thoughts were. I mean, if you were, we could do a book review maybe next time, but well, depending book, on what you, we can what have you book club. Yeah, I, I would love this. I've been like really tempted to start a book club, um, like a, a social book cl- reading club. I don't even know what, what do you do in a book club? Have you ever had been in a book club? What I don't understand that. Well, I guess you talk about the book, right? I mean, I mean, I did almost get a, a an English degree, so I, I, I know like. There's sort of like this I mean, uh, led conversation about things, but like what, I think you know when I when I read a book like Cod or so some of these books, I take so many notes, and I thought while I was doing it, I was thinking you know because sometimes a point will come up and will be like, wow, this reminds me of this, and then you almost feel like I feel like calling. Uh, you know, I think start thinking about people I'd like to call and have a debate with, but not debate or ask them. You know, did you read this? And what do you think this means? You know what I mean? And I always thought, like, however people traditionally do book clubs, I don't care really. But I thought it would be really cool to like um, have a book club where everybody could bring out parts of the book and say, you know, when I read this, I thought it meant it was. It reminded me of you know. Mm-hmm. Um, of such and such is good to great, and it, did anybody else catch that? You know. That, oh, that's, yeah. you, know, you know that that might be a helpful thing in like a uh, a business book club is is if you if you I coming up with examples and like uh, more tactical things because often well there, there's there's two ways of looking at this often I read some sort of like you know nonfiction book let's just call it a business book right. and like I'm I'm like I'm I'm given an interesting vision for something but I have no idea how to implement it. Like, like I don't, I don't know what to do tomorrow yeah, when I go yeah, to work, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so it might be interesting for people to like talk about how they would solve that problem and things they were reading. Now, the other hand of it is sometimes the uh, the wisdom in books is so simple that you assume it's a lot more complicated, <laughs> right? Like, like go, to reference that example again, I mean that 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 podcast again for no reason other than it's an interesting source of stuff, like. I think I think when people read or hear about DevOps or Lean Enterprise or all this stuff, like they don't really think that companies operate that way. They're like, yeah, they're just telling us this stuff. This isn't how things actually operate because there's a lot of prescriptive stuff in like the tech world about how you should operate and what you should do. And yet companies don't really do it because I don't think they take it seriously. So sometimes you're just like overthinking something like if 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 the wisdom in the book says you should plan a three-day offsite to discuss what the strategy yeah. of the company yeah. is. What they mean is exactly that. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, um, like get get all these people yeah, together, yeah, and they yeah. probably have no idea what the company is doing. I wonder what so they you meant. Figure by that, that out. Yeah, I wonder what they meant by that three-day offsite. Well, let's. There's got to be a book about that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I know we're going to end here in a minute. But like, so I was at the DevOps days, um, uh, the, the first government-run DevOps days in DC. Um, last week, and um, the um, Mark Escher, he's like a, a fellow at the, uh, I think it's Consumer Protection Agency, <clears throat> and he basically, literally said that when he read, um, he read the Lean Enterprise, they used it as a template for change, and they literally, you know, used it as prescriptive. Right. You know, right. to your point, they, I don't think they, 
you know, it's funny. It was a little, a little frustrating for me. You know, again, that's how things work, right? When he started explaining some of the things that they did, they were right out of Toyota Kata, right? Like, but you know, I mean, the truth of the matter is, you know, Jez and some of the ThoughtWork team before he left to go to OpsCode, you know, put together a book that basically compiled, you know, a lot of really good ideas and timely ideas on top of not just Mike Roth's book, but other really good stories and deserves the credit. I just sometimes I get a little frustrated when people talk about, I read this book and we did, you know, we followed it prescriptively. We did A, we did B, we did C, we did D, and then, you know, B and D were both like directly out of another book, right? But it's just the way it is. But the point being, and my bigger point besides my rant is that they took that book, they put it to practice, and they believe that it has significantly changed a significant government agency. Yeah. So that was the talk you gave it. I'll have to put a link to it. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. It was really good. You know, um, you know, and he talked about things a little bit like things that they did as, as part of the team, and there were really, um, there were some really good stories of, you know, um, I think uh, the the U.S. Um, U.S. Trade and uh, the U.S. PTO, right? The uh, Patent and Trademark Office, the Consumer Protection, um, and then uh, there was a, there was. Um, there was a couple more, and then I got to float and talk to a lot of people. So there's the government is like starting to catch the buzz, man. It's it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean that that would be a fun conversation for uh, another episode. But it does seem like um, of all types of organizations out there, the government could get the most the most margin of benefit from all this wacky technology stuff we talk about nowadays. <laughs> in 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 the sense that they are a massive organization that has a lot of potential to have shared resources that, you know, so just that, right. And they also are a very, um, B to C oriented organization. So they have to operate at scale. And a lot of what the government does is servicing individuals and groups of individuals. Right. So, so in contrast, right. Like flash trading isn't really a good B to C thing. Like it doesn't really, there's no, there's a reason they call it retail banking instead of banking, right? Like there's all sorts of classes of technology problems that if you have a lot that don't have lots of end users, so what do they care, right? Like, right. They, anyways, they need a whole different set of technology. And yeah. then, and then finally, it seems like uh, the government is probably at least one, if not two generations behind on technology. <laughs> and so, so they could leapfrog, if you will, in applying all this new technology stuff. And and hence the the actual I guess it would this is like a ROI case study or whatever, but the, the benefit that they would get from applying new cloud and DevOps and all this stuff would be huge compared to other companies that have been just keeping a pace as they should have been and things like that. But right. the government nope. and, and then also it's nice because you know, uh generally if the government is functioning well, I a citizen benefit. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So, so at the end of the day, selfishly, I get the most benefit if the government has better IT in general. Yeah, no, I mean, it was. Uh, there's been some. Now you're starting to hear all these uh, kind of back back end stories about healthcare.gov. But one of the stories that that's come out, I've heard a couple of times now, is and everybody takes credit for it, but that's okay. But it it's, seems like it was a reasonably true story. Is when they fired up the system, right? They you know, they had all those like crazy outages. Nobody could get to the pages, and so they brought in a team of people that actually kind of knew what they were doing, 
And, um, you know, one of the first questions they asked is, let's see some of the data. How many, how many sign-ins did we get yesterday? And, and like, everybody was like, what do you mean? We haven't gotten to that part yet. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like they had no data. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, so they, they weren't monitoring. They didn't have, you know, it's like, oh, okay. All right. First things first, folks, you know, we got to have data, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. At least the number of people who signed up, that would be handy. Yeah, or yeah, how many people are failing, how many people are trying to sign up that can't, like, you know, so one-on-one stuff, right, so. That's right. Well, uh, I, I think I think we're both going to be in Amsterdam next week, right? Oh, okay, well, good. Yeah, I'm leaving right from DockerCon, so DockerCon's uh, Monday and Tuesday, and I leave Tuesday evening. Where, where is that? Is that in uh, on the West Coast? Um, yeah, it's going to be in San Francisco. When's, when's the European one? Um, I think that'll be, uh, I don't know exact date, but it's probably October or November or yeah. something. Like I, that. I went, I went to that last year. It was great. I was, yeah, I remember we, we went there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was good it's stuff. It's going to be Barcelona this year. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. So, so we'll be, uh, we'll be at DevOps Days Amsterdam. We should, we yeah. should come up with a, uh, some sort of open session that, uh, you know, cause, cause I, I've, I've noticed it's especially in like, uh, the keynotes, like. Like Damon's was a little bit lower level than this in a good way. The one yeah. of upstays Austin, but like yourself and other people, like there's almost this uh, discovering how businesses operate, <laughs> which is basically what we've been talking about, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like it, it's almost like um, there's like a few classes that you would have taken in MBA school, not to sing the praises of MBA school that kind of go over like all this stuff that everyone there kind of glosses over and doesn't pay attention to. Right. But like, you know, these three P's thing, like that's kind of important, right? So like, like it's, 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 it's almost DevOps is almost to the, to the, there's a part of DevOps to focus on. That's just like, um, being more business minded and, or not even being more business minded, just like business. What does it mean? Right. Which, which I think would be, uh, it'd be helpful to codify that. Yeah, I think so. Or, you know, even. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I think there's enough books and threads of books right now that are all starting to point in the right direction. You know, I mean, I, again, I'll always say that Deming is a core part of it. And, but, you know, you, the stuff that came out of Toyota production systems, you know, between pretty much the, you know, the second half of the last century. Um, and then, you know, and then I think, um, you know, what, the American thinkers like Mike Rotha with value stream mapping and that, and then, you know, Simon Sinek's, you know, start with why. I mean, it, it's enough now to put us where we have enough, a strong enough body of work now, bodies. Right. Right. Works at, uh, yeah. You, you, it, it seems like there's a good, uh, this is the wrong word, but sort of like workshop that you could do. That would yeah. Be, that, and, and I guess this is a little bit what Damon and those guys do, but it's sort of like, uh, do this value stream mapping, figure out what your why is, and and like just do these this set of five things. And chances are you'll after eight hours of doing this minus two hours for farting around and lunch, like hey. you'll actually understand your business better, right? Because yep, yep. because you probably have no idea what it is at the moment. Well, the value stream mapping is I've had uh, through kind of interactions with the genes. Um, doings if you will gotten to meet you know the people at disney target nordstrom and a lot of the speakers that were at the devops enterprise last year um they're all attributing kind of the breaking glass moment at doing value stream mapping mm. 
Um, it, it seems to be a common thread, and that is what Damon and his team does. But but they're you know with or without Damon, you know, um, I think the the value stream mapping becomes. And again, that's something right out of Toyota. Mike Rotha has a book called Learning the Sea, S-E-E. Um, um, it seems that, you know, unsolicited, when I discuss with these, they're all talking about how they've used value stream mapping. You know, Damon has this great story, and we'll, we'll definitely end on this one. Um, but Damon said they did this value stream mapping with, you know, again, theirs is more than just value stream mapping. It's a key component of what they do, but they do this this discovery where they get everybody in a workshop and, you know, people have to take time off, which is you, a lot of companies will be like, oh, we can't pull our people. And then they, well, then you're not right for this 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 level of transformation. I'm sorry. Right. Uh, but but he but said they, they had some reasonably legacy company go through this process where three or four days in a room, they had a whiteboard, or not a whiteboard, but a paper board across a long wallway of basically what was their value stream. And I, I can't remember if he said it was the CIO. I think he said it was the CIO or somebody came in and, and looked at it and goes, there's a whole lot of stupid up there. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. And as, he, as in, as in they, had, they had found this all these processes they were doing and they didn't like them or something? or what? Yeah, I mean, no, to the point where he said, you know, and I know that, that first he, he said it was like kind of sound like he had like a southern draw, like there's a whole lot of stupid up there. And then he told Damien, he said, and I know of it, a lot of it's my fault. You know, in other words, they, they just, when, you know, I mean, the, the beauty of value stream mapping is when you start watching all the handoffs and the human, the, the, the waste that goes on it, that you thought, you know, that, you know, process A goes to process B, you know, and well, that, you know, what's the problem here? How come it took like, a, you know, two weeks this time and only took a day yesterday? And then when you value stream mapping, you realize the day, the one that took a day was because, you know, you, you hit every green light between, you know, between, you know, when you're going down Cobb Park right, with right. other you, but, um, but, you know, and, and the day it took two weeks was you hit every red light. Exactly. Um, so, uh, and you don't even know the variation. Like you, you just, you know, you're just scratching your head going, well, some weeks it's raining and it's just bad. And some weeks it doesn't rain and it's good, you know, and, <laughs> And then you look at it and say, "Oh my God, there's a whole lot of stupid up there," you know. So, well, on and, that note, we'll we'll try to limit the stupid we have in here. In your, I was going to say, there's a whole lot of stupid in this podcast. <laughs> as as always, this is the uh, the Lords of Computing podcast. The Lords of Computing, which which I've 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 interspersed, you know, uh, somewhat regular conversations with John, and and uh, it's my miscellaneous bucket to put other things in, but. You if go. you go to cote.io uh, uh, and slash podcasts, I think, or just go to cote.io, you can find the podcast link and get the link for how to subscribe and all that stuff. There'll be a link in the show notes as well. Uh, but you probably already know all that if you're listening to yeah, it. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> if you right. got this far, you uh, probably figured that out. That's right. But we'll uh, see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody.